basically just throw shit at a wall and have a really good testing methodology on what to, what you learned and how to keep, you know, double down on what works, pull back on what doesn't, like, and understand what a test looks like. And so, you know, that was really early advice that I just doubled down on and started focusing on marketing. And I, you know, used things that I had already knew, like how to use language and things like that to help. But, you know, hindsight's 2020. I, in college again, made fun of marketing majors and didn't think there was anything to marketing. everyone, welcome to the Founder Hour. I'm your co-host, Pat. I'm Posh. Posh is here as well. And today on the show, we have Eric Huberman. He's the founder and CEO of Hawk Media. Uh, Eric, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for making the time. So I know it was uh, recently Hawkfest. Yep. You guys, uh, you know, um, throw this, I don't want to call it conference because you call it an anti-conference. <laughs> so tell us, uh, tell us a little bit of Hawkfest and um, what kind of the anti-conference is. Yeah, so, you know, I wanted to have... An environment, and since I started Hawks, it's been almost five years. I wanted to have this, you know, event destination where we could bring some of the top minds in e-commerce together, but less like a trade show conference where you're walking the floor and everyone's trying to sell you something, and you know, most of the crowd are people trying to learn, not necessarily people already doing it right. So more of you know what's proliferated as the mastermind kind of style conference, but also not have it feel like a stuffy conference. And so. You know, we've done it two years now, and part of the goal has been to make it feel more like a day of fun that, ha- you know, you happen to learn a bunch and you happen to get a good network going, but it's more about, like, the experience and really making sure people enjoy themselves and don't feel like it was a day of work. Love it. Yeah. yeah I feel like it attracts a lot of people that may not have actually gone to, like, a trade show or something. Yeah, exactly. The, I mean, yeah, we, we're trying to, you know, we, thankfully, we don't pay for speakers. It's more people that are willing to share because they're sharing with each other. And they're also able to learn from each other because of the caliber of people we attract there. And then we break it up with this year was circus themed. So we had circus performers and knife jugglers and all sorts of fun activities. We had a tarot card reader and a psychic and some stuff to go do like to break it up instead of just like panel keynote, panel keynote. We also sped it up a lot. So Keynotes were like 15 minutes, panels were like 20. So That's another like thing. Rapid. I feel like, you know, it gets a little bit exhausting at times, you yeah. know, at, at normal trade shows where like you have like an hour long yeah. talk and it's like then it's like five minute break and then back to another one. And yeah, you can't yeah we all. noticed and we were hoping for this, but we didn't find out that like speeding it up forced people to go right to the point a lot quicker as opposed to ramble on about shit that nobody really mm-hmm. cares about because you get that all the time where you have like people who so, you know, how many times have I heard content is king on a marketing stage? And so... You know, here seeing that you get past that really quick and go right to really dive into the de- details, mm-hmm. it helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So, Eric, did you grow up in LA or uh, born down here? Like? Grew up in Ojai, so not too okay. far, about an hour and a half north. Okay, and, and have you always been here, like, or did you move I out? I went to school in Arizona uh, when I was seventeen, and then four years there, moved back here when I was twenty-one. Went, came to Santa Monica. I was like, "There's no place I'd rather live. I'll figure out what I'm going to do, but I want to live in Santa Monica." Mm-hmm. Eric, if we asked your friends what you were like in high school, what would they say? Probably a nerd. Um, <laughs> I pretty I was a competitive gamer, uh, and this is a time that you never told people you were a competitive gamer. <laughs> uh, you know, I went to a really small, like, hippie school, so it wasn't the typical school. So, like, everyone was kind of accepted for who they w- were, and it was, like, all lovey-dovey. So it wasn't ever, like, uh, you know, the movie style, like, you were a nerd. I was still, like, I played on the basketball team and, you know, worked out every morning with my two best friends. But it was a small town, small school. We had 11 kids in our graduating class. So 
you know, but I definitely was a very different person in mm-hmm. high school than after going to college and everything. Were you like academic at all or was it more like no. just more well-rounded? Yeah, I got, I had a really easy time in school. Okay. So like uh, basically without doing anything, I got, you know, high, like 3.7 or something GPA. I can't remember what my high school GPA was, but it was somewhere around there without ever trying. I mean, I would sleep through our physics class to the point that the guy started, our physics teacher started just saying like, just go on a run or something, just show up for the tests. And I'd come back for the testing. I got an A in physics. So it was like certain, especially logic driven stuff. I had, was, had no problem with if there was a logic around it. It was just easy to grasp. It was easy to grasp. Yeah. yeah. Same thing happened to me in college. I took aeronautics my freshman year and the curve put 32% at an A and I got a 92% in the class wow. and not because I had a background and I just kind of understood it. Like yeah. it makes sense. Why do things float? Why, you know, things like where the buoyancy comes from. And so when things can just make sense now, the opposite with like, I got a D in aesthetic architecture in college. Cause I was like, I don't know if that's art nouveau or gothic. I don't get it. What's the difference? Like I, I needed like tangible logic for it to make sense to me. Okay. So you, when you went to college, you, did you have any sort of idea of what you wanted to do? Uh, Yes and no. Uh, I my family's in real estate. I in high school, uh, my school actually gave me every Wednesday half day with my two best friends to go work uh, with some of my dad's partners in the, re- in the real estate office and learn like invest real estate investing and how that worked. And so I uh, thought I was going to do that. Got away from it in college and really just focused on learning. So I like my first year, I worked in a real estate office. Second year. Uh, worked selling Cutco knives, selling because I, I actually was looking for a sales job. I tried to get a job as a used car salesman because like the epitome of difficult sales, and uh, they wouldn't hire me for three months. So that didn't work out for a summer. So I ended up selling knives, but wanted to learn sales. And then the third summer, ended up starting my first company. All through, just uh, a friend had came up with a business idea and said, "I need a sales marketing guy. You should come in and help me." And so. Uh, it, but it, I was focused on learning. I did it with him for the summer, thought about dropping out. My, that was after my junior year. And then just went, you know, it was storm a storm drain filtering company when they made it the law in California to filter storm drains. And so decided against that, left, the, just gave him the business, walked away from it. Um, and he built it to a multi-million dollar business. He did a good job with it. Um, but then when I graduated, I went right back to the real estate idea and actually mm-hmm. went into real estate the first year out of college, got my license, became a commercial real estate broker with a plan of doing that for a while to learn the business and then get into investing. Uh, but I started one week to the day before the entire banking industry collapsed. So oh, that year yeah. I made $350 and decided it was time to start looking at other options. Yeah. That's so funny. I feel like someone recently we had started selling Cutco knives as well. I don't know if it was like a thing back back then. Or... Yeah, it's still a thing. They recruit an insane amount of college kids every right. year. That's their whole model. So like my business partner did it. Okay. Um, I have a new business partner that's running the fund. We have a venture fund here too. And the guy running that also did it. So like, I think I spoke to him. Uh, Drew. Drew, yeah, yeah. Leahy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely, it's a great entry-level sales training. Like, we look at it all the time. What was so great about it? I mean, what was the biggest takeaway for you from selling knives? Yeah, so they have you literally go to the script to the point that, like, when you're first selling, you are reading a script in front of the person. Like, you are sitting here. face-to-face. Yeah, it's all face-to-face sales. And it's like all literally warm, door-knocking. No, it's warm leads. So it's, okay. can you recommend anyone that would see me? But I'm poor little freshman, or at that point, sophomore in college, do uh, you have anyone else that I can go talk to and just do my pitch? Because I get paid, this is where the brilliance is, they pay you per appointment, mm. but because of the law of averages, if they're paying you per appointment and you're not selling anything, they fire you pretty yeah. quick. You're like, they, you, it's a, there's just, you're, I think, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but I think it's like 20% are going to buy every time. 
fifty percent are gonna be, you know are right in the middle, and then ten percent are never gonna buy. It's like, but if you pre-qualify, that added to ninety percent. But you get the drift. Um, <laughs> and there's yeah, ten percent. Who knows? Um, but if you pre-qualify correctly, which they have the three pre-qualifications, are they over twenty-five? Do they own their house? And I forget the last one. It's been a while, but um, the the point being, if you pre-qualify and you do it, it's the law of averages pick up. They know that they're not going to pay you 16 bucks an appointment because you're going to sell enough knives to way over cover that. And so you sit there and read this script. And because I was like all bought in because I took the job to learn sales, I didn't take the job to make money. Yeah. I was like, I want to learn something. I read the script, but then I started to try to understand why I said everything I did because this is a script that had been around for 30 years and honed down to a point where it was exactly perfect. So I started to understand why you said certain things, why you start somewhere. And still to this day, I use it where it's like, you know, right before you get into price, you talk about their competitor and you go, the, you know, Henkels are amazing knives and they're blah, blah, blah. And you take out the slip. You're like, they're, you know, this knife is blah, blah, blah. And it's so good. But here's why. Our, and it's $1,500 for this set. But here's why. Ours are better because of this and this and this. And you set this expectation that you just said $1,500 and now you're about to say $2,500 for yours. And then you go, but ours are $800. They're like, wait, they're way better and they're $800. And you sit there talking to someone and it's a college kid that would never, ever, ever spend $800 on a knife set. And I sold, you know, many in my first week. Yeah. So, you know, I sold, I think I did, I have it somewhere, but I did like twelve dollars or $13,000 in sales in week one. Well, And that also taught me, like, apparently I have a knack for sales. So I kept up with it, made a bunch of money that summer. And Why do you think that was? Like, what do you think made you a good salesperson? Honestly, uh, my dad uh, is a, I love him, but he was a very touchy guy growing up. And the difference in the way I said something would either get what I wanted or set him off. Mm. And not in a way that's like violent or anything, but I, yeah. I could literally say like, um, hey, I want to go to the park. And he'd be like, oh, that's nice. You want to go to the park? Or, hey, can I please go to the park today? Yeah, sure. You know, it's like literally yeah. the point was the same. But, like, the difference in way that what you, your word choice changed a lot. I think from kind of tap dancing that way my entire life. My dad also is an entrepreneur, Push always negotiated with me, pushed me to be that. Like, there was some intent behind it, too, that, I mean, at that point, like, even his partners, like, Eric can sell ice to Eskimos. Like, I just understood slight word changes, what kind of reaction I get because my dad was – so reactive that I saw the like extreme of the reaction. So it like trained me to be like, well, how would I, how do I've ever seen people react to that word? Great. Don't say that, say this. And it's the same point coming across, but people are that uh, reactive and emotional about things. So after you realize that you have this knack for sales and you're kind of going through college and you then started that company, what was the plan once that was all said and done? Was it to go back? And you said you went back into real estate. Yep. That ended. So what in your mind, are you just like, I have no idea what I want to do or oh, yeah. I have some sort of idea? Like so what's going on in your head? No, I mean, I didn't decide to go into real estate post-college until like February of my senior year. And I was like, oh shit, I got to start figuring out my do job. something. Yeah. 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 Everyone's like interviewing for jobs. Yeah. And it's like, what or I already mean? had them. I mean, yeah. that was also right before the financial collapse. So right. all my friends that were fine, I was a management major. I would, funny story, make fun of marketing majors. I'm like, what do you do? Draw pretty pictures? Like how does marketing work? <laughs> and, and even though I had nothing to brag about, and then my finance yeah. friends were all like getting jobs at big banks. Well, that went to, sh- it was literally the year, like they all got retracted that summer. But at, in February, they all like had friends that were like going to New York, right. going to Texas, going to all these places to take those jobs. And uh, yeah, I honestly had no clue then. And then when I went into it and it didn't work out, I still didn't really have a clue. But about six months in to real estate, I realized I got to do something. And so I ended up studying for the LSAT, 
and doing really well, but realized I didn't want to be a lawyer. I uh, ran the LA Marathon because I was sitting at breakfast in January of 2009 and with my stepdad. And I was like, I think I want to like train for something. Like I was looking for something to grab onto mm. from sort of complete something. And I'm like, I think I'm going to run a half marathon. He goes, what are you, a pussy? You're 21 years old or 22. Go run a full. I'm like, all right, fine. And so like four months later, I ran the LA Marathon. And so I was looking for something. I was always like, I was the first one in the office, last one out. Like I always wanted to, I like working. So uh, then I started to work on side projects had a friend in my office in real estate that we worked on a couple things together. We're still friends today, but nothing was like a really good business idea. And this is then, not real estate related, just something no, else. No, we yeah. bought the letter R talk.com and we were okay. gonna make like a real estate like forum or something. We didn't know. We were yeah. figuring it out. Still on the domain name actually. <laughs> and uh we uh and then a friend's dad who I grew up with, I was I played music all through childhood from four years old on, and my drummer, I was a guitarist, his dad, I didn't know this, was a really prominent businessman. And he called me and said, hey, I've been admiring your kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I have an idea. I really want to help harness the raw entrepreneurial spirit of musicians and help them focus it. Um, I want to find a way to help them figure out how they should be spending their time to actually make money as a musician. Mm -hmm. And so no, had no plan, just had a mission. And I went, let me run with it. That was February, I think, of 2009. Is this around the time when like streaming is like starting to become yeah. like a thing? And I mean, it was way post Napster. This is 2009, so post yeah. Napster and everything it was yeah. already a thing. But Spotify definitely wasn't out here yet. It was yeah. in Europe, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, we it was it was the probably the bottom of the music market. And it was yeah, like I think the, it was like um, like uh, distributing it on like, iTunes and like even like um, what uh, I don't know what other music platforms there were back then. But it was like yeah. I, you know distribution on iTunes. You had to go buy like individual songs SoundCloud or maybe. right things like that. So yeah, SoundCloud wasn't big yet then yeah. yet. Um, but yeah, iTunes was definitely do making waves. But yeah, it was just it was a bad time in the music industry. And so I said I had nothing better to do. So I started writing a business plan. Came up with a bunch of ideas. Ran it by him around April of two thousand nine. And he's like, okay, great. Let me look into this and see what we can do. And then kind of checked in now and then. And then. Uh, somewhere around mid-July, I I still remember this. We put on a real estate auction at the real at the real estate office I was in, and I brought in thirty-five million dollars in listings at a time when no one was selling anything. And they said, "We'll just bring in the listings. We'll get the buyers there." And they had like they had just been bought my real estate office by like a two billion dollar real estate fund, a REIT. And so they're like, "We can bring them. Like we'll get some stuff sold." So I get all these buyers there. We put on an auction on August. It was either July thirty-one or August first. And uh, they, I show up with all the buyers, and one property got one bid at half its value, and I never came back to. The, I went back to the office like six months later. I left my shit. I was just like, I'm out. I'm done with this. So I uh, called the guy back, and he's he had actually got uh, through his network, uh, committed 250 grand to fund it to let me run with it. Offered to pay me minimum wage living in Santa Monica, which was better than I was making so far. So I was like, let's do it. <laughs> and we're off to the races. So yeah. I started building that. And then he ended up raising another 750 So a total of a million. For what the was that called? What was the Fame Wizard. Fame Wizard. Yeah. And what was like the premise? It was it? basically one-on-one -on -one business coaching for musicians. I see. So I see. helping musicians figure out how to make money doing what they're doing. And it went through a bunch of iterations, but that's really where And we you were the one helping them? I was running it. So like I, you were coaching musicians? No, 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 no. I brought on... This is where, so it turns out my friend's dad was on the board of Men's Warehouse, had another company with Deepak Chopra, had a, was one of the co-founders of Pay-Per-View. So like wow. long history of success, yeah. a lot of network. So we ended up uh, bringing on this board of advisors that was like 
uh, Tom Silverman, who started Tommy Boy Records, which is like all of the old school hip hop, Naughty by Nature, Too mm-hmm. Short, Queen Latifah, mm-hmm. Wu Tang, like all him. Mm-hmm. And so got him on board, got David Page from Toto, which was awesome. Um, got actually found a video of him and I jamming recently, which was wow. that was kind of the fun Classic. bonuses and perks of it. And then uh, we hired the president of Disney Records to come help me run it, Mark Jaffe, awesome guy. And uh, I became the chief operating officer, then went to chief development officer because I was more focused on business development and growth. And then we hired a COO and started building it. And uh, I ran it for two years. We got it to profitability, realized it was never going to be that big of a business. Um, The COO became the CEO, and I moved on. And And how uh, old were you at this time? I was 24. And like in hindsight, I mean, just looking back like um, at who you were when you were 24 years old, like why do you think your friend's dad trusted you and believed that, you know, you you would be able to run this thing? I actually totally get it. I are, so I made more money investing in a 24 year old last year than I made on my own company, Mm -hmm. putting in, you know, a decent amount of money, but an investment into a 24 year old that has over 20 X to my money Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. while I've been working on my own stuff and coaching him. It's a lever. Like as an investor or? Yeah. So it's, it's a lever. It's, you know, he, this is a guy that's in his sixties and wasn't going to go hustle and build this himself, had a lot of other things going on, but for him to, you know, get his friends together and throw down a million bucks on a bet that I was going to hustle and he was going to guide me was a reasonable bet. It's a, you know, smart thing to do, especially because of all the connections he opened up for me and everything. There was a possibility there. What we ran into was the one thing we didn't think through enough is independent art, which is obvious when you talk about it, but independent artists don't have any money. So it was 50 bucks a month, which is nothing to get business coaching, but yeah. we churned through 90% of them because 90% of artists aren't struggling artists because they are super passionate. They're struggling mm-hmm. artists because they don't want to work. Right. And so when we started telling them, like, here's all the work you have to do, they'd be like, yeah, screw this. Now, there was a small portion that were great, but not a big enough cohort for 50 bucks a month to make a business out of that was going to ever be massive. So now you, that you've kind of moved on, what was the next step for you? Um, yeah, so I uh, ended up starting a with a neighbor uh, in Santa Monica. came up with this idea for a t-shirt subscription company called Swag of the Month. And this was pre-Dollar Shave Club and all that. So it wasn't like the, a big business idea yet to build e-com subscription. I just thought it'd be cool to just get a t-shirt every month and not think about it and refresh your wardrobe. So it was when graphic tees were big too and swag was a popular word. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked really well. We got on the cover of... Wall Street Journal and like we're in Maxim, Huffington Post, TechCrunch, Thrillist basically launched us in every one of their territories. So you started it? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we launched it within a couple months. I got a buddy from college to build like a one-page lander that went to a PayPal page. It was super simple. But Thrillist, it, the Thrillist and TechCrunch articles hit the first week and got us like four or 500 subscribers like that. Yeah. And so four or 500 paying 17 bucks a month. Yeah. Okay, we got a business. What was, that, what was like the opportunity you saw? Like why did you think that this would be... I mean, clearly it was like just, something that people it was wanted. Really wanted. Sim- yeah, it was really simple. It was just like, I want this. Like, I would love to pay 17 bucks a month and just get a cool t-shirt. Yeah. And it was like random graphic tees that you would be designing or you would be like, get no, the licensing we, we for partnered it? with about 120 brands. So like every big one, like Billabong, Ruka, you know, et cetera, down okay. to small. And we did build a few of our own brands. Oh, like they would just give you like clothes to put in. The, At first it? they'd give it to us for free. Just yeah. we convinced them it was like a marketing. But once we got, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Once we got enough volume, then it became, we'd buy them for cost, which was still great. How do you convince a company like that to give you free shit 
when you have no audience when it's when i mean honestly what i think it was was two young guys are asking for like 200 t-shirts and from ruka they're like yeah i would probably have that in a box somewhere we will never use like sure go ahead take it whatever but don't they think i mean like just to play devil's advocate like you guys could be two young guys that just like fuck up their brain and like you know send some other shit with it and you know they can't manage that yeah i i don't think like what do they call that brand uh jesus we get asked cannibalization or no not really um there's a term used for it like brand safety basically but Uh anyway protection something like i forgot the actual term right offhand but basically the with protecting your brand like that like yeah a few brands care most are gonna wait look at nike right now yeah you know with the two big things they just did both are awesome have made them incredible amounts of money yeah people that are running especially in the brand world other types of companies industrial companies b2b companies yeah they'll be brand protection because they want to just you know remain switzerland but if you're a brand and you're a fashion brand you want to stand for something and Mm -hmm. so you know, they looked at who we were. They looked at Swag of the Month, and they went, "What the? You know, th- it's this or sell that overstock to Marshalls. Like, right. yeah. it's going to be better here, anyways." Right. Yeah. And you guys didn't pay them for anything at first. No, we got thousands of T-shirts for free, and then and it, how did people find out about this? Uh, press to start, and then we started trying to learn digital marketing and like search engine marketing. Facebook didn't have advertising yet, so yeah. it wasn't an option. We tried some email marketing stuff. We were playing with different affiliate marketing, all these different things. That's where I started to learn this digital stuff because Fame Wizard, how we got, we ended up with 15,000 musicians all through Craigslist hacking. Wow. Hmm. So that's all we did there. So I didn't know that. I mean, I understood marketing as a general concept, but then I started to learn the different tactics with swag. So you were just doing this t-shirt thing for a while? Yeah, for a year and a half before we got to a scale where we couldn't maintain we 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 raised no money so it was like do we sell it shut it down or raise money because we were working like 18 hour days and like couldn't keep up but we couldn't afford to hire anyone yeah and I know uh, how it goes. you know and yeah exactly and the and the uh the unit economics weren't quite there to get us to a point where we could do that so uh we i tried to raise money i didn't there was no podcast out there about like how to raise money at this point it was like very light ecosystem right. so i didn't realize it's around what year like uh, 2011 10 10 11 yeah, the, the economy no it was 11 yeah. sorry economy still shit not yeah. much funding for companies like that right and i met with one vc uh who's now a legendary vc a guy named howard morgan who started first round capital and super nice guy but he had just invested in this company called fab.com which ended up being a burning disaster but it was they sold fashion on it and he's like it's close enough that like i w- this could end up being competitive great idea keep running with it but i can't invest and to me i didn't know basically on what i was just saying like i didn't know you go pitch 100 people before you right. get a yes right. so i was like well that's it there's the vc option so that's gone <laughs> he told me it's not gonna work yeah. so i guess it's not gonna work yeah and so <laughs> he said no so we're moving on so now it's sell it or shut it down and literally out of luck uh a uh, woman I'd made friends with owned an e-commerce holding company that was cash flowing like a beast. And she's like, hey, are you, have you ever literally called me out of the blue? Have you thought about selling your company <laughs> like a week later? And I was like, uh, what do you have in mind? She's like, I don't know. What would you want to sell it for? And I threw out a number that basically paid off the debt four years of startups gets you in. Oh, and I had 50% or, or I had to double it because it was half mine, half my partner's. And she went, yeah, sure. Want to come pick up a check? Oh, like, my goodness. Shit. Okay. And how many cl- client customers did you have at the time? A few thousand. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, sold it to her. Not, nothing life-changing, just enough to kind of reset. Yeah. I mean, you didn't lose money, so it's good. No. <laughs> and then, uh, <clears throat> what, oh, then I, I literally did that, went on Birthright, um, the 
trip to Israel that you get for free yep. and uh, came back and my roommates had changed our lease instead of being up in a month and two days, was up in two days. And so I had, yeah, great. I was at zero. Like I paid off my debt, yep. but I had no income. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what the my options were. And uh, yeah, didn't have a job, et cetera. So I was going to say like you're like in your like sort of late 20, mid to late 20s at this yeah, time, right? at that right? point I'm 26, yeah, 25, and, 25. Right. And like um, I feel like, you know, like you, you, may, you might be looking around and like other people are like advancing in their jobs and whatever. And, and you, you've, you've had like so, semi, I guess, successful ventures, but nothing that really, yep. you know, uh, blew up to the point where you're like, I can look at, look at that as, an, as like a real success. Yep. So what is like going on through your mind? Like what are you, what are you feeling at the time? Yeah, that, that was probably like those three weeks were a low point for sure yeah. because I had no income. I uh, ended up staying with a friend because <coughs> I couldn't sign a lease. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And I just started hitting my network. At that point, I was ready to take a job. Because I, you know, let's say struck out twice, and yeah. I was like, "All right, like I'm gonna go." Were you like burned out at all? No, not at all. Yeah. Honestly, like uh, it wasn't that. It was more just I needed to make money. Like I, I had been living off ten bucks an hour for in Santa Monica for five years. Like I was, that part was burnt out. Yeah. I wasn't burnt out on the idea of grinding and trying to make it. And I still like the idea of like some sort of business development or sales job because like I want to benefit from my success mm-hmm. and I, I want to control my own destiny. Right. That goes back yeah. to... I was just going to say that. You, you have control over it. Yeah. And yeah. that goes back to like I had a job in high school where uh, six months in I was, I was working minimum wage. Six months in I was supposed to get a raise. He didn't give it to me. I went to the boss. He's like, oh yeah, I've been waiting for you to, me to, you to come to me. And I'm like, well, that's fucked up and, <laughs> in my head. And then I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to get a raise because I've been talking to your manager and like we want to see you doing. And he started listing things and it was things I had been doing but I realized my direct manager had been taking credit for my work. I was like, wait, I do that. He's like, yeah, but your manager says he has to do it for you. I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing that. Like, it was like, what? And I just, like, and that made me never want to have success based on someone else's judgment of me again. Like, I, I was like, I don't want this to be subjective. Mm-hmm. I want it to be objective, yeah. which is why I gravitated towards that. So I didn't know what my was what I was worth on the market. Like, I didn't, I'd never tried to really get a job like this. So I went out and I got offered... Uh, head of biz, de- biz dev at Live Nation, which was you know close to six figure job. Mm-hmm. Uh, head of e commerce at Warner Music, mm-hmm. and then a consulting role for this all three. Or the Warner Music actually paid shit. I'll call them out for that. Um, they pay. They want to pay me fifty grand a year to run e commerce for Warner Music. <laughs> it was like that's. Uh, what, what were they selling? What were they selling? Merch. Merch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was like, and they wanted clearly expect- they weren't selling, which is why they couldn't afford <laughs> yeah, a no, salary was, beyond half. And this story goes on, but uh, yeah. I got offered that job. Got offered. Head of BizDev at Live Nation, and then uh, got offered to consult at a uh, this new incubator that had just started in Santa Monica. But they had just launched this one of their first companies was Dollar Shave Club, and they're like, science. "We need someone that yeah, yeah. we need called yeah exactly." So Science offered me to consult there, and I was looking at three. And of course, my parents and this was in those three weeks that I like was trying to figure out. And right. My parents were like, "Well, you're obviously going to take Warner Music or Live Nation." I kid you not, both seemed a little iffy to me. Just the way like I, I was used to startups, I was used to yeah. like you know. Killing what I eat, but also like running my own show. Like I, the, being corporate didn't sound great, and I really didn't want to commute to Hollywood or Burbank or live there. It's yeah. Like as you guys just came the other way, right. I'm yeah. like, I don't really want to be out there. That's yeah. I have but, the opposite problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, like I, I'm not gonna lie, that drove a big part of the decision. That like, is I'm a big. I mean, it is. I mean, we're in LA. Like, yeah, it's you know, draining. It's a big thing. That's like yep. Pat was driving from Porter Ranch to Santa I used to, Monica. I used to work in Santa Monica, and I would drive yeah. from Porter Ranch. Two hours like, each way. That, yeah. like, that's why I got into podcasts. Actually, yeah. <laughs> that's like a that's a half like a part time job. The commute. Yep. So it's like why it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I I'm like always been kind of 
crazy about efficiency and like to me like there's just it, it that you can't do me. anything else but drive yeah, you can exactly. listen to some stuff but yeah. like at some point it becomes redundant and it's like i'm not getting anything done right i now. tried to get a developer friend of mine <laughs> to build an app i had a commute when i started this and i'll get into that later but i tried to get him to build an app that i thought would be perfect for commutes it's like a audio version of twitter where okay. you're just listening okay. to bullshit because i got so sick of the radio so sick of my own music i list. had something like that where i was like you know con- so like an app that you can connect with other people on the road within the same like yeah you know and like just have conversations yeah, in the exactly. morning like so it's like, like you can meet new people but at the same time you're like awake and you're not like yeah. falling asleep because it's not like I, sometimes in the morning i don't want to listen to a book or a tape or a podcast yeah, yeah, i don't want to yeah. learn shit yeah, i just yeah, want to yeah. like listen to bullshit the same way you scroll through exactly. twitter or instagram like, exactly. I like so i was trying yes. to build that never yeah. happened but yeah I hate whoever can figure out this traffic solution yeah Hats off. Well, it's Tesla. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll, see. We'll, we'll see about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see the news today. They just outsold uh, Mercedes Benz yeah. for the first time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Saw that. Yeah. So, um, so you were talking about the three. The, yeah. So the, the Warner. Yeah. My parents were pushing to push to go to Warner or Live Nation, which good Jewish parents would do. Um, but I decided to take the science because it okay. fit more. Even like friends that worked with me at Fame Wizard and advisors and stuff were all like, you, you've you built a really good brand in like the lifestyle, like e-com, and now you have the opportunity to step into two music companies. Like this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but I like the startup thing. And so like I didn't, you know, you can connect the dots working backwards as Steve Jobs said mm-hmm. so eloquently. But um, you, I had no idea what, that I was stepping into anything other than like right now this sounds like a good idea and I want to do it. And that year... I ended up helping science. I consulted for all these brands, learned a lot from them. They learned from me because I was the only guy on paper. I had the only exit in subscription e-com in LA. So I <laughs> built that brand. But what were you consulting them on? Growth, marketing. Like that's because I had done it myself. And they're like, well, what'd you do here? What'd you do here? What'd you do? And started advising and then helped them launch. Uh, this is a really long story. I'll cut to the chase though, is help them launch an activewear brand that in the first four months, or sorry, first six months, we did 2 million in revenue. Wow. So rocket this, ship. This of is a brand. science. Yeah, this is out of science. Called Ellie. It's still around. They launched it. Uh, I was on the founding team, the head of oh, marketing. Okay. They had a CEO launching a vitamin company. I helped him pivot to do this. They copied this wag of the month model, but yeah. for women's activewear. Got it. So we built that out. My partner became this, the the uh, VP of operations. I became VP of marketing. We basically, you know, two headed monster with a CEO above us that we'd report to, but we ran a lot of the company. Right. And uh, and and so, how did you even find out about science? Uh, was literally at a tech cocktail bar night in, at South, a bar in, on the west side. I, I actually remember this. And a guy named Eason Alibriz, who I still am in touch with, was working for Tech Cocktail as a reporter and introduced me to Mike McAdden, who was a partner at Science. And he yeah. said, you should come in. We should talk. This was actually when we were raising money for swag. And so we had already built a relationship. And so when I we got sold it, it was like, oh, well, maybe we have something for you. And so that's how that happened. And so I ended up building... Uh, Ellie with them for about a year. Um, oh, no, another long story that we ended up selling it, but nobody really won off that, <laughs> selling it to Bally Total Fitness. Mm. And that's when I started consulting and advising that continued to turn into this. Mm-hmm. So, like, this was like, uh, and how, again, how old were you at this time? This that was, was like, 20, shoot, that was nine, that was 26. 26. Yeah. So, you've already started and sold two companies yeah. at this time. Um, and you now you move on from Ellie was that what it's called yep so you start you bet you go back to consulting or yeah I or, just start I moved on from Ellie and I actually had no idea what I wanted to do yeah went to Mexico for a week came back and started getting hit up by a lot of people too. did you think you're like hot shit at this time no no I, I always had no I had no lack of confidence I've never like the emotional shit you do with like you hear entrepreneurs I'm not good enough that kind of yeah. stuff like yeah. I'm I'm just not emotional about this stuff I'm yeah. more pragmatic and so it's like here's what I've done 
here's like right. I, I'll let you be the judge of it. I'm, right. I'm very like logical about it. Like right. I, I know I can offer this stuff because I've done it for right. six years now. Um, I can definitely avoid pitfalls, and I've seen what success looks like. So, um, so I was able to. I I had built a brand though, and just a little bit of a reputation in LA of yeah. like, building these e-commerce companies, and so started to get reached out to a lot by bigger brands that were trying to figure this out. So so what was like, I guess, out of the whole process of building an, a brand, like what was like the main thing that you felt like very, very confident in that? Like, was it like when you, when you say growth, like was it customer acquisition? Was it a more like strategy? It, market, was actually, you know, it's like, it was the fact that I knew, and it's still this way that today, most marketers either fall way too direct response and way too customer acquisition focused or way too branding focused and don't understand that it's about both. Because uh-huh. you build a house of cards with direct response, and you don't build a house at all without w- with just branding. Yeah. So it's like you need both. You need to build both. And what's awesome about that is now in a time when advertising is getting much more expensive, we know how to handle that where a lot of companies are just running Facebook ads that aren't performing and they don't even know why. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that after building these two fashion companies, like we did do Facebook ads and all this stuff but in influencer marketing before it was a thing and all these things that we understood, but it, I understand why it all worked and it wasn't about just selling services and like, oh, you need to look at SEO. It's like SEOs at the time, there's ways to use it, but for the most part, when I was building those two companies, SEO was bullshit. Yeah. Did nothing for a fashion company. I mean, but it was just it was, a bunch of fraudsters just yeah. like making fake links and exactly and i understood that from a not just because i'd been burned but from a logic perspective like i understood why not doing search marketing made sense and i was so like back to just you know from the lsat from like just a lot of where i've always excelled is logic Mm -hmm. and so understanding this equals this and how things equate and how things are going to turn out and kind of predict where it's going has always helped me in the marketing side too of how how to utilize different things and so these were both fashion brands that you um had had seen the growth of um did you feel confident in you know growth just across the board like different i mean were you consulting on other uh, projects as well it just the value proposition changes the messaging changes the tactics don't really you're targeting certain type of person with a certain value proposition even if it's b2b like yeah, you felt, B2B, I mean, you're, yeah. the thing people confuse with B2B is like, remember, you're still talking to an individual. Right. The value proposition changes a little bit there because it's a lot of times a little more logic than it is yep. emotional appeal. But it's still emotional appeal because they just want you to handle it. They want to know that they're safe, that they're not going to get fired if they do this. It's, it's depending on the person. If it's a CEO, they want to know it's off their plate and it's going to be handled. Like, There's definitely emotional triggers to B2B too, but you're still talking to an individual that's the decision maker. Right. Mm. Did you ever – did you end up building any sort of technical skills while – Doing this stuff and like I mean by technical I mean more so like on the engineering kind no. of like software side of where you understood how these people actually built these platforms. I, I again I understand it as much as anyone that's worked with a lot of engineers, but like no, I have zero coding engineering chops. Mm-hmm. I mean I've you, you, you know written an HTML and a little bit of JavaScript while Googling how to do it, but like no, not at all. I actually thought about going to classes for it, learning it, doing a project, and quickly realized. Uh, where I was spending my time right. was lucrative. So spending my time on that, like I should spend my time what, with what I'm already inherently good at right. and find ways to get someone else to do that part. On a more like greater issue, I know a lot of times Pat and I hear, you know, and I think I'm the same way as well, where I don't think I'm very talented at one specific thing. I just think I understand a bunch of different things and that makes it like, you know, the jack of all trades versus master of like none yeah. or master of one. So it makes it difficult to really choose a path yep. to start off with. Yeah. You know, what's your advice to those that are that way? Yeah. That, you know, they enjoy marketing, they enjoy advertising, they enjoy branding, they enjoy fashion, they enjoy sports, but they have no idea 
how they can bring that all together or how they can just isolate one and just do something. Start somewhere. I mean, it's, it's anywhere. Yeah. I mean, you're not, I truly believe, I mean, it's, and I'm not the first one to say this, the brain's a muscle. Like the more you work it out and do yeah. stuff because I sit and think about marketing and sales all day, every day, I get better and better than a lot of people at it just because I'm aware of it. I pay attention to it. I read about it. Like that's what I exercise. And so at some point I made that decision. And the point why I made that decision to focus on it is because the three e-commerce companies I've built, my limitation wasn't how am I going to make a t-shirt or how am I going to make activewear or how am I going to get a coach to talk to this musician? It was how am I going to get musicians? How am I going to get people to buy the t-shirt, to buy the activewear? And so marketing and sales always seemed like the more proactive challenge versus reactive challenge where it's mm -hmm. like you're not, you're, there's not an answer to this problem. Right. You have to keep trying things, testing things, learning that methodology. And I had really good advice when I had Swag of the Month, a guy named Chris Nella that's now running ad product at Snapchat, but has run marketing for Shoe Dazzle, Gamefly, Soul Society, Trade Z, Thrive Market, like guys, awesome. And when I, I, met, I got introduced to him and I was like, so how do you do this stuff? He's like, you basically just throw shit at a wall yeah. and have a really good testing methodology yeah. on what, to, what you learned and how to keep, mm -hmm. you know, double down on what works, pull back on what doesn't, like, and understand what a test looks like. And so, you know, that was really early advice that I just doubled down on and started focusing on marketing. And I, you know, use things that I had already knew, like how to use language and things like that to help. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I, in college, again, made fun of marketing majors and didn't think there was anything to marketing. So, so at the time, like, were you, I mean, how self-aware were you that this was something that not only was the reason for your success with those two businesses, but also something that you enjoyed and, like, looking back, like, that was the one thing that, I guess, was the difference maker as opposed to, um, the other aspects of the business was like the marketing growth side of things and that that was something that you were going to go into like full force. Yeah, I mean, we, let's put it this way, I started a company six months after Dollar Shave Club and outpaced them six months in. So with the company that went viral in the yeah. first week and yeah, going insane, like we were making more money than them yeah. six, a year into And they were like next to you guys, so? Literally sitting next to the desk next to us. Like we were in the same room sitting next to each other. We moved out of science before they this did. Is Michael Dubin? Yeah, exactly. He had a team at that point, but like that to me was like, okay, so I know how to jumpstart a brand. Like, again, I'm objective. Like, this worked. We did this. We spent half a million dollars to make two in the first six months, and that was recurring revenue. So it was just going to keep making money. And even if I didn't spend, like, there was a uh, pattern here that, it, like, okay, right. I know how to do this stuff. What I, what I, all the things I wanted to do at Swagging and have the finances for, I did at Ellie, and it worked. So great. Now I understand, like, my gut and what I know about this and what I've learned. I'm on the right path mm -hmm. yeah. and now fast forward I've worked, we've grown over a thousand brands I get so much insight every day into what works and doesn't that now it's easy so going back to that kind of scaling problem of like you know you, you come a point you come at a point in a business where um, you just can't physically do it anymore without mm -hmm. hiring more people but you, the money has to be there to hire those people yep. um, and kind of going back to Pasha's point about like um, you know uh, having like a sort of skill set in different things but you said like you know you would find someone that can handle like let's say the technical side of things and you sure. would handle the side that you felt more comfortable on yep. how, how do you like w what is the key to becoming so like not only resourceful but like having the ability to build out the right team at that time with yep. you know like 
Because a lot of people, sorry, sorry, good job, but yeah, like no, a lot of people, um, maybe entrepreneurial, but and they're trying to go into like the tech industry, yeah. but they don't know how to build a tech platform. So yeah, the, I would say this is opinion, not this is just my sure. own opinion, but yeah. don't go into the tech industry just mm-hmm. like I haven't. Like mm-hmm. until you're, unless you meet that person that's the perfect match for you, that you can be the salesperson, they can be the tech, which people do. You right. find that technical co-founder, but it's a marriage. A business partnership is a marriage. So jumping in a month in because you have this idea, you found someone to build it for you on the side because they say they're a developer but you don't even know anything about this and me included don't know anything about development in fact we have now we have a couple developers here but traditionally we haven't because i can't manage them because i have no idea what they're doing and like they tell me a project will take six months or a year or a week and it's the same project i have no way of saying that doesn't make sense like everything else here i can at least judge and work with but You know, it's like not logical for you. There's no logic in <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> I have no idea yeah. why. And even when I ask, it still doesn't make sense yeah, to me. Exactly. So it's like, go with, you know, if you're going to build a business, if you get lucky and you find a perfect partner, which like I'm, I have an amazing business partner here, and it, but it is a marriage. So like jumping into a marriage after knowing someone a month, and the, my business partner here is the guy that took over music company. When I left, he worked with me for two years there. Then he ran it for three while I did the other two companies and then came back to build this with me. So I've known him for six years before I started this. And what was his name again? Tony Del Mercado. Tony. Tony. And so that's it's been great. But yeah. I literally dated him for six years before getting married. <laughs> so it's like yeah. that that wasn't as much of an issue. So tell us about that time. Like how did you and Tony meet and um, how did you guys – Yeah, he was running the nonprofit for my original co-founder investor on the music company. I see. Wanted to get out of that. And we had an opportunity to bring him on to do more operations for uh, Fame Wizard. And then when I wanted to move on, he stepped in and take over. And this so, is the architectural guy? Yeah. So he had no – did he ever want to start a company? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, did he, he started a company in high school and then, I mean, what, I mean, what company did he start in high school? It was honestly a landscaping business, but it grew to like, I mean, I, I forgot how it was a big landscaping business. Really? Yeah. While I was in high school. Like he, he had, hired like, people to like yes, landscape? Like he sold the company, not like it was like a couple guys mowing lawns. He actually sold that business. That's awesome. Yeah. So he, yeah. Entrepreneurial guy himself. Um, and then he, after school, yeah, I did architecture. And, oh, that's what it was. He went into Cutco, but he killed it at it. So at like 22, he was running all of the Southwest for Cutco, making wow. 400 grand a year or something ridiculous. Jesus yeah, he had a good time living in Vegas because it was Southwest headquarters. <laughs> must be nice. Yeah. Must be nice at he, that age. Yeah, no, he had a sick house and was <laughs> had a, he he said it once. He has like seven different colored linen suits. <laughs> you know, it's like he he had a good time. And then he joined. I forgot the path from there. But I mean, his name's up, Tony, so yeah, it makes exactly. sense. I oh, like yeah. it. I like it. And I mean, he played D1 hockey. Like, he's a big guy, fun yeah, guy. Yeah. But yeah. he, uh, yeah, he ended up joining a startup out here that didn't work out and then joined this nonprofit, then ran Fame Wizard for, and he was there for, he ran it for three years. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I called him and said, I think there's something here with this. And so, me. so let's talk about what this is. Sure. Um, this obviously being Hawk Media. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems as though it was a natural natural progression from what you had done yeah. uh, from both, you know, building your swag of the month and also Ellie and, you know, doing all this stuff. It was really based on marketing, advertising, growth. Yeah. Why did you think that you can do this for other companies, yep. number one? Number two, why did you think that they would pay for it? Yeah, it, I mean, 
there wasn't like just to be clear there was never like a business plan for hawk media we did that a year in i wrote a business plan because we almost sold it and then didn't but that forced me to like be like what are we doing here like what does the next three years look like i know it was all reactive and i've actually we got proactive this year and it hurt us a little bit because we tried to predict things that didn't happen and so now we're going back to like reactive in this business so um doesn't mean there's not vision and ideas of what i want to do but um jumping ahead of it's usually a mistake so in this case i again, left Ellie, went to Mexico for a week, came back, started getting offered jobs at all sorts of companies. So the owner of Bally Total Fitness uh, offered me a full-time job. And this is the one that had bought Ellie, right? Yeah. And uh, he and I had known him before, and he offered me a job, and I was like, I'm not – their offices are in East LA in commerce. And I'm like, I'm not working full-time in commerce. No. I'll work one day a week for you. And I'm also not going to get another job with someone that's going to make, again, a long story, but there were a lot of mistakes made that were out of my hands that I was very vocal about not doing mm-hmm. that collapsed the company in a lot of ways. And so I uh, I was like, I'm not letting someone else control my destiny again. Like, right. nope, but I'll work, I'll advise for you one day a week. And he's like, make it three. I'm like, all right, but I'm a hundred bucks an hour. And just to translate, like that's about 200 grand a year. I was making a hundred grand a year at Ellie. So I literally just started working three part-time days a week and I was making the same amount of money now and had the other four and a half days a week to yeah. go do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I was like... And he agreed to that? He agreed. Right on. Okay, sounds good. I was like, all right, great. And so I'd go down there and work with him. And then I started on the other days. I, I've, again, I'm like, we're here on a Saturday. I don't mind working. I like what I do. I like working. So I was like, all right, cool. So I started picking up other clients that were hitting me up like, hey, do you want to help us? Do you want to help us? We can't afford to hire you, but we'll pay you to advise and so people started paying me to advise and those companies started to do well. And the things I was advising on started to work. And about six or three months in, I had, I think, eight clients and I hired an assistant. I was like, I need someone to help me with some of this stuff that I can push some of the, you know, grunt work off to. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and she would go to me with me to these different places, amplify the incubator here, actually just let me work there two days a week. And then I'd go down to commerce. Three we had days Jeff week. Solomon, one of the co-founders. Yeah. On, so on Jeff, that's literally who yeah. invited me in. And Jeff and Chris Bjorner at the time both have left now, but Jeff was president at the time, then Chris after him, but they were both there and they let me work at their desk. They have this big long table. They'd let me work there with them. And after a few months of that, so it was like, I think, yeah, like November time, I decided, okay, I'm going to like figure this out. I think I can hire a couple people. Maybe I'll get a little office. And what do we moved into this building in an office this big about 200 square feet, 300 mm-hmm. square feet, the couch, a conference table and a TV. And like, that was our office. Um, and Jeff had overheard me talking on the phone and he goes, what do you do? I'm like, basically e-commerce and marketing consultant. And he goes, Oh, I got a client for you mm. and referred me to an awesome company called Lulu in Georgia that we ended up working with for a couple of years. And, uh, yeah, she came on, they ended up hiring me, which honestly them and one other referral I got through Amplify were our two first big clients yeah. and gave me the what I needed to go hire the team I wanted. And that's when I was like, okay, I was, this is where the impetus of Hawk came from. So I called it Hawk Media just because I didn't want to call it Huberman Consulting. <laughs> so that's how the name came to be. But uh, and that's a whole other story. But grew up in Ohio, loved so Red Dog Hawks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but... Um, I, the idea was I was trying to hire agencies to help, like I'd go in and be like, you need to do Facebook ads. You need to rebuild your website, blah, blah, blah. Like, great. Who's going to do it? So the two op, what I found was two options when it comes to doing marketing, you either hire a team in house or hire an agency. Problem is hiring in house is not cost effective. Generally, that's if you can find and attract talent, which especially in the employment market now, like if you're anything but the sexiest startup, good luck getting a good marketer. 
And then even if you do hire it in-house, you're working in a vacuum now. Well, so, it's not just marketing. It's also the design designers yeah. and engineers sometimes. It's like, the whole like content list. people. Yeah. Exactly. Content, it's yeah. the whole list of people that you're going to build a whole yeah, team in-house. it's in not house. one person. Right. Yeah. And on top of that, like if you do it in-house, you don't have the peer review that you do in an agency. You don't have the view into the market that you do in an agency. You, you lose a lot. And, you know, for, I guess, that institutional knowledge, I'm using air quotes, but as long as you have a good agency, they should be giving you all that reporting anyways. Yeah. So it, sh- it doesn't... You're also make- not learning much because right. you're not really testing different things or like, you know, yep. when you have multiple different clients, you're like, okay, this is working for this client. Maybe we could try exactly. it for this client. You know, yep. when you're in-house somewhere just doing the same thing over and over, right. there's really not much of an opportunity to learn but, and grow your knowledge. But the driver to hire in-house makes sense to me because the other side agencies, 99% of them are awful. They're started yeah. by people that have no idea how to build a business. They're Just blow pe- a bunch of money in. Yeah, it's, yeah. we talked about this a little while ago, like the SEO snake oil salesmen that you don't even know what the hell yeah. they're talking about. But a lot of people fall for that shit. Oh, exactly. A lot. And then get burned and then just so I need to just hire someone because then right. I can, then they're reliant on me right, too. exactly. And I get that emotional, again, it's emotional decision, not mm-hmm. necessarily logical, mm-hmm. but that was a huge problem is I kept vetting the, thank God I knew marketing, so I'd vet yeah. these agencies and find that like all of them were shit. Yeah. And then I'd finally find a good one, but they wanted high minimums, long contracts, some barrier that they put up to make them hard to work with. And so just got frustrated. So after six months and frankly, a good uh, roster of clients that I was making good money off of, I went, I'm just going to hire my own team. So we started with seven people in this office. And were they full-time or? or all full-time. I convinced them all to work for 36 grand a year. That's all okay. I could afford. So it was, I was going to say, because like, uh, you know, with an agency, it's the, the, the problem of like, do we we can't guarantee like the client's going to pay, especially in your case, yep. you're not commit, you're not getting an upfront commitment of a year. So you don't know that they're going to continue to. And my, so. my goal, what, what I did was I, I assumed I, I was already making that in consulting fees myself. Yeah. I made the, I took the risk to say like, if I hire these people, we'll be able to upsell and do services. I know this right. person needs email marketing and this person needs, you know, media buying, et cetera. So, right. you know, a little proactive, but I was like, this should work very quickly. And sure enough, I, I sold a couple contracts to do like full suite of services with us. And right how did away. you choose what you were like offering? Was what it, worked, what, what actually would work for them and build so a business. it was like anything and everything that would work? Yeah, would like, offer. the things that, the marketing mix that worked for me at Ellie that still works today, five years later, but like, you know, it was Facebook ads, search marketing, Email marketing, web design, influencer marketing, overall marketing strategy. We needed someone to quarterback everything and went back to him and just said, hey, everything's a la carte, month to month, cheaper than hiring in-house, but now we can spin up the team you need. And, and so, were you giving them business advice as well? Like, this is what I think you need to do to yeah, so that's position the strategy. your business better? Yeah, that's the strategy. Piece. Like the consultation? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so we have a few friends that have marketing agencies of their own, you know, yeah. smaller boutique kind of stuff. And, and they're, they're, they're successful, you know, they're making money. Yeah. But I've always found it interesting to see you know, how you can work with startup clients because that's something that you were obviously, uh-huh. you know, doing before you launched Talk yep. and get them to actually pay you. Because <laughs> like those are, the, those are the ones that, you know, for example, if I was in marketing, I would want to work with clients like that because they are more eager to learn. Yep. They're more eager to try new things as opposed to going to a bigger company where they know exactly or they think they know exactly what they want yep. and they're more so telling you but they have the money, so you know. You'd be surprised. It's more of a culture thing on both sides. We get plenty <laughs> of startups that think that they know everything, and we get plenty of massive companies. Uh, I don't think I'm allowed to name them, but we have one of the largest e-commerce companies in the world uh, out of China. Um, you know, it's been our client for two years, and they're awesome to work with. They're really they take our lead. They ask us questions, and then we'll get startups that have never done this before that tell us that all our creative sucks. And it's like that's nice. We've grown many, many, many brands right. in your space to hundreds of millions of dollars, but you're probably the expert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's just a personality thing mm-hmm. more than anything. Um, and with startups, I mean, what that does from a business perspective increases our churn on average because companies lose money, go out of business, have the wrong idea, et cetera. Um, they're definitely the more volatile ones. They're way more passionate. So that's a good thing sometimes. It's a bad thing other times depending on the personality. And when we see startups, is it like are we talking seed stage as well or, or like post-series oh, we'll go, A? No, we'll help someone design their product and build their brand. So mm. it's like pre-seed, like very, very early. Like, and they have money to pay you? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, if they don't, they don't. I mean, what I tell people is so if, you're what, not what in a position, well, if you're not in a position to hire someone, you're not in a position to hire us. Like right. we're not an alternative to – we're an alternative in terms of you get better work Got to it. hiring someone in-house. But like – we we start between two and four grand a month, and that's just the fee. Yeah. You need to have some money to then deploy, et cetera. Like you should really spend be spending around like ten grand a month in marketing for us to even be in the conversation or anyone. It's like if yeah, you can go hire someone for a grand a month to run your marketing, but either they're making minimum wage and working half the time on your project, or they're making decent money and working like an hour a week on your project. And yeah, you want to see what the opportunity cost right. of that is. Like usually I tell people like you need to, you're the founder, you need to go figure out how to get enough customers to pay someone the right mm-hmm. amount of money and have the budget. Which like, which with e-commerce, I mean, that's, it's all marketing. Yeah. I mean, if you, the product really should hopefully sell itself or right. you put time into it. If it that. doesn't, it's going to be impossible. If it doesn't, anyways. right. You don't, yeah. you can't market it anyways. Yeah. 99% of your effort should be like marketing yep. and, you know, advertising, all that stuff. Yep. And I feel like a lot of startups just don't know, or a lot of, I don't even want to call it startups. I think a lot of founders don't know that financial kind of expectation that comes with a startup. Yeah, we had someone. That has to, and it's all marketing. Someone called one of my salespeople yesterday because he called me to ask like, if he'd handled it right. They're like, hey, we need you to run our email marketing, our advertising, create our content, rebuild our website. Um, there was something else. Oh, run all our Facebook ads, social media, everything. We're doing this launch in three weeks. Nice. We need this all done in three weeks. And he goes, great. Well, this is going to cost about this. And he's, got, he's like, and this will be about 4000 So, like, that'll be $8,000. like, $8,000? Oh, you're way out of, like, we no, you guys are way too expensive. <laughs> and he's, he's like, oh, okay, thank you. And yeah. he called me. He's like, should I have, like, tried? I'm like, no, that's someone that has their expectations. Like, it's, again, people don't think about it. And, like, people will tell us, like, oh, well, this agency is way cheaper. I'm like, okay, so our margins aren't crazy. So there's only two ways an agency, another agency is cheaper than us. It's either they pay their people less yeah. or they uh, pay people less or put less time at each client. That's it. That's the right. levers to pull. Right, right. So, so automatically you know that your quality is for, for what you're charging, yeah, your quality it, Yeah, better. it's like, yeah. yeah, we don't have 80% margins. So, like, you know, we have 15 so they're, they're not playing with their margin because then they're out of business. So mm-hmm. it's like either they're, yeah, the quality of work right. is going to suffer or the caliber of work. I feel like at suffer. that point, you should, I would just be like, <coughs> how much do you think you would spend if you were doing all of this on your own? Right. And we do that too. And so we get that conversation. <laughs> I mean, I mean and it's th- going to be more than $8,000 probably it, because they're gonna fi- by the time they figure it out, they're going to spend $8,000 yeah, just totally. Paying. I'm like, good luck with your opportunity cost. When people say that to yeah. me, I'm like, cool, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're going to charge you 5%. Like do the math in your own head. What would you do for that amount of money? Yeah. And like that's what we, we want to pay you a thousand bucks a month. Exactly, you know, it's kind of conversation. I'm like, I pay my people six figures. Like, no. So, was it difficult in the beginning to get clients, or because yeah. of the experience that you had in building and selling? Companies no, it's to- it's also like to this day, I haven't seen an agency actually build on the premise of like being client centric. Do the right thing for the right reasons. Don't hold them into anything. Like, make this easy on them and make it simple to get good marketing talent. Like, it's crazy to me, but like, there's been. You know, there's one agency that started a year before us in LA that's a little older than us that's grown at, you know, a third our pace in that time, but they're okay. But they just focus on advertising, nothing, not everything else we do. Hmm. And then that's it. Like every other agency I've seen, it's still snake oil. 
the, the, there were two agencies that I thought were going to be decent. Like I started hearing good things and then they came to me to white label us and it turned out they weren't an agency. They were just white labeling other agencies yeah. and they had a CEO that was good at talking to people. <laughs> so it's like, it's amazing to me, but there's just not that many people that know what they're doing that are building agencies. Mm-hmm. Cause most of the time I heard this from someone to the other day that I was talking to a really cool CMO, uh, of a very fast growing startup here. And he goes, I'm interested in how you started. Cause most guys like you will go do consulting work while you figure out your next project. Yeah. And what happened to me was I was actually working on a tea company when I started this. I was working on a like drinking tea company and I launched it when I want, when I hired that team here, like the same time. And that tea company did about 30 grand in the first two months. This did a little more. And I was like, you know what? I like this better. I'm going to shut down the tea company. And so that project that I was working on, this became like, I really like this because my biggest passion, what I love to do is grow things, grow businesses. Like I love seeing growth. And now I get to grow a business by growing businesses. It's like, it really is the perfect right. match of what I like to do. Do you, do you miss like having your own like product though? Because <laughs> like this, it's like this, this you know, the, the service business and then the product business, right? Like Yeah. Let's put it this way. Sometimes it's fun to have a product, but at this point we have a whole venture arm and I own pieces of a lot of companies. So yeah. we've been able to satiate that that way. So you have your like hands and things. that Yeah, exactly. Could, yeah. And so we've had that part. And also like the three companies we talked about, the product was business coaching. Then it was other people's. Then it was other people's T-shirts, and then it was women's activewear. Like it's never been like this super passionate product for yeah. me. Yeah. So it's actually the growth has always been like where I got most excited about. Mm-hmm. If you were to start a product-based company, what what sector would you be looking at doing something in these days? Uh, well, I'm working on one idea, so I can't that I can't share, but it's basically like a hole that I see in kind of the e-commerce market and the brand, like the, a, a vertical that doesn't really have a mm-hmm. brand. Um, so there's w- one specific, uh, beauty companies are crushing it. Beauty is really interesting. I like companies that you can drive sales through lifestyle because that means marketing control it. If you build a right. decent product, then the lifestyle and the marketing behind it can actually run the company versus a need based product where, you know, and that's where skincare gets tough right. because like it's still got to work, yeah. you know, Correct. and versus, you know, fashion's fun, but I think that's just too competitive and you need too many SKUs. So what yeah. do you think is going to happen with like this whole influencer marketing ecosystem? I mean, do you think it's going to, obviously it, it's existed, I mean, for as long as yeah. we can think and it's going to continue to exist. But right now it's like, for example, it's on Instagram and yeah. all these people with followers. I think, but, I think it's just going to be another part of the marketing mix like anything else. It's not like the outlier, like it's just, you, you include it, you spend a small part of your budget on that part because it's another way to hit people and it's more of just another ad channel. That's and going. getting more creative with just like natively, you know, weaving it in as opposed to like in yeah. your face marketing. Type well, yeah, the way you use each channel is very important. And that's why I like the way we work is everyone's focused on one type of marketing. Like you just do Facebook ads so that you get really good at that. Um, but I think influencer marketing used to be like a, a great way to hockey stick if you had a viral product. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. Things don't go viral anymore because of the way yeah. social media changed. And there's just so much shit to yeah. go viral. It's- Right. You're competing with so many other and people. And the FTC regulation, they have to say they're being paid. So <laughs> yeah. that put a... Hashtag ad. Right. And so that definitely changed things. I won't name the company, and I'm sure you know both of you will know what I'm talking about, but there's one specific fashion company here in LA that really focuses a lot on like yep. influencer marketing. You know, how does a company like that, you know, go through a, you know, a, a year of corrections or a, an impending recession, perhaps? Like, how do they survive that if... Their business is just based on that. Well, it depends on what the recession looks like. Like the thing is, like people think of a recession as like kind of a binary thing, like it's zero or one. Like someone stops buying everything. In a no, recession. of course not. And it's yeah, it's 
they probably shrink. You know, yeah. So hopefully they don't throw a bunch of overhead over themselves right. to not be able to withstand that. But I think if you manage your business correctly, and I don't, there's a few that fit that profile. <laughs> yeah. One is has no funding. So uh, one very, very, actually I can say that there's nothing, I don't know anything private about them. Fashion Nova hasn't mm-hmm. raised any right. money mm-hmm. and they are incredibly profitable. Mm-hmm. So in a I think I saw they're like the number three or number four most uh, hit, like trafficked wise, most um, website on uh, Shopify. That totally makes sense. They're I'm surprised there. they're not number one. I mean, they're like, they're like half a billion in revenue. Yeah. And I think color, I think ColourPop is like right before them, and then Got it's it. Fashion Nova. It's like all influencer marketing. <coughs> yeah, I mean they, yeah they they but they do Facebook. They they, do they got they the they got the Jenners now. before they were like right. this big thing. They got you know Cardi B when she was like on TV. Yeah. And like, no, he did it right, and yeah. they've not again not raised any money. So in a recession, all that happens to an unfunded company is you just make less money. Uh-huh. That's what's nice about not yeah. having financing. But right. if you t- but you don't you, t- you don't owe anybody anything. Correct. The moment you, well, that, but a business doesn't fail that doesn't have financing. The only thing that could fail for him is I don't know what his deal is with his leases or his. I think they started in retail, right? They were like yeah. in the mall. Oh, and he's stuff. a retail company. Yeah. yeah, they were a retail company. And I don't know if he has what his leases look like because he has big facilities now right. or how he owns them. Yeah. But that's the only overhead he has because so as long as he can cover his rent, which I'm sure he can I'm at sure that kind fine. of company, I'm sure it's yeah. a small part of his margin. Right. Then you unless the company literally goes to zero. He's fine. Right. It's similar to us. Like we haven't raised any money, and so I, I hope we don't have to do this. But the worst thing that happens here is we have to lay off people, and hopefully, can still cover our rent. Right. That is the only That's overhead. The only overhead you have. Yeah. And so. So what has been the biggest challenge growing Hawk Media? Uh, people. Challenges are always people here. Our clients are volatile. Our, we, you know, we'll get fired because someone has a bad day, no matter what the outcome is, and we'll you know, lose clients for emotional reasons. And because we're month to month, we've done it to ourselves. We'll get people that come in without a, with a lack of commitment on their end. And so, you know, the best clients are the ones that come in and want to work with us. We have plenty of clients that want to work at us and like, it's our fault. Their product sucks kind of thing. And so, you know, that's been a challenge. And then internally we have employees that, you know, we, we, this is a, a common thing is we'll hear an employee tell us that they're working on 20 clients and we go look and it's like seven, six, which is average here is six. And we're like, where did you get 20? And what it is, is they were like helping out someone else and doing this and that. And like people, you know, perception is reality. And if someone thinks they're overwhelmed, they're going to feel overwhelmed. And so managing people in that way, scaling up has been difficult, trusting people, et cetera. Like it's always where the challenges come from. You know, we've had, Plenty of people sorely disappoint us and plenty of people, you know, re- surprise us in a great way too and really step up. Um, I watched a decent problem, not, nothing bad, nothing that bad, but a problem that I should have stepped in on yesterday on an email thread and I just watched, you know, a, some of our executives and like the team all working it out and talking. I'm like, let's see where this goes. I just let it go for an hour and then check back in on the email thread and it was solved and exactly what I would have done. And so it's like you get that side too where people start to really step up and it's amazing. And then you get the side where it's like someone that you invest in for two years and try to train and then give them an opportunity and train them up to be a new, ex- you know, either an executive or a manager or whatever. And then they go, yeah, I just got offered five grand a year more here. So I'm going to go over there. You're like, why? Like, ah, you know, I just want to try to change a pace and da, 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 And you've just invested, you know, a lot of time and money into training that yeah. person. So you, those are some of the problems you know, actually the best way to put this is the first couple months in business, we had those seven people I started with. One of them uh, on a Monday morning emailed me and said, hey, long story short, I met a girl over the weekend and fell in love and I'm in Hawaii now. I'll be working remotely. (laughs) What the fuck? So sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this, but um, cool. Um, And so I got a hold of him. I'm like, hey, just make sure to do your work. He's like, yeah, I got it. Next day, 
this really early. Like we had, you know, eight clients. Four of them call me the next day and go, where the hell is your guy? What are we paying you for? Da, da, da. Like freak out. And I have all these, you know, that's half my business. And so I call him like, what the hell, man? He's like, hey, you should be happy for me right now. It's the happiest day of my life. I'm getting married tomorrow. This guy met a girl on a Saturday, married her on a Wednesday. So that, honestly, that's great, and man. It, it was beautiful. Skip the, it, just skip yeah, the whole process. It lasted, process. I think, six months. But Amazing. I mean, he also came back in three weeks later, like returning to work, quote unquote. I was like, wait, what? No. That's the, had another guy that on a Friday night uh, basically told me like, hey, he was our, one of our ad guys was like, hey, I'm not going to launch these ads unless you double my pay. And like, I think this guy forgot that I do all this shit. So yeah, I yeah. was like, cool, have a nice night. Click, locked him out of everything and launched the ads myself. He had designed everything. He just didn't hit play. Go and so it was he like didn't, he didn't execute that strategy very yeah, well. Yeah, no, it was really dumb. <laughs> so those are two good examples of like crazy yeah, stuff. The whole ad and not press like but go. But he has access to the to the back end. So yeah, so yeah. yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> I so yeah, that that's the kind of stuff like yeah. issues wise. It's always been reliable. It's very volatile, it seems. Yeah, and it's going it's to be. So and many so ends, it's yeah. that's why, frankly, part of the benefit of growth is. One crazy person that happens now and then gets a lot less of a problem with now we have 140 people. When we have someone go off the rails, it's like, all right, what? Right. Big deal. But when you have five people, it's a big uh, issue. You know, I was having this conversation with somebody probably a few days ago about more so the millennial generation and, you know, brand and company loyalty, you know, yep. working somewhere for, I don't know, a few years. More is, than a year and a half. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's become less of the norm. Right. Correct. You know, it's more so just let's go in there six to 12 months, learn our thing, move on to the next thing. Same thing goes like happens there. And as a business owner, it's obviously disappointing because you want you yep. like you said, you invest time, right. energy, money in these people. Yeah. But at you know, at this point, have you just kind of like taken the emotional side out of it and you understand it or it still like bothers you? It still bothers me. Um, But taking the emotional side out of it, it absolutely bothers me. But then you have to take a look at their shoes. We ca- we're coming into a generation that was shown, their parents were shown there is no loyalty the other way. People that had 30 years at a company mm-hmm. were fired before their pensions. Like right. it's very, it, you know, it goes both ways. Right. And, you know, with us, we try to do everything we can to make this a place people want to work, but we also stick to our guns with what people are worth. Like part of it is like we had a junior Facebook advertiser get offered 200 grand a year. We were paying her, I think 55 to go work in another company. And we're like, good luck. That's awesome. Go there for a year. It's four years of what you'll make here. And even if it doesn't work out, you'll figure it out. Like we can't argue with that. And that's the job market we're in right now. People are paying $200,000 for that. Uh, not normally this was a i just signed up for general assembly right here there you go yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's happening quite a bit i mean the job market's crazy right now and so vc funded companies that aren't worried about short-term viability are paying ridiculous fees that's insane and we're a target we're well known you know good reputation marketing firm that trains people really well right and we put a lot of emphasis into it but there's a cliche that i think it's been used a lot but i really i always go back to it and it's a it's a CEO and a CFO are d- talking about employee development. The CEO goes, we didn't invest in our people. We need to send them to trade shows, training, education. We need to really build our people up. And the CFO goes, yeah, but what if we spend all that money on them and they leave? He goes, yeah, what if we don't and they don't? It's like that's yeah. I really do subscribe to that. You're, like you're you're, you're you're fucked if you do. You're fucked if you don't. Like, oh, and I don't think you are fucked if you do because I think you. 
you still like not everyone leaves. We haven't lost our entire right. staff. Right, right, the of course. We've invested in certain people that have been amazing for us. Right. And, and they probably understand the long term vision that if they do stay here, I mean, their potential also is like yeah. that they're gonna make a lot more money than they are right now. Yeah, and they need to trust that. And for us, there's also like we do believe in up or out. So like it's crazy to think that we don't have any if we we have no more management positions, that channel isn't growing for us, you know, whatever the I mean let's use I'll use one that is growing. So Facebook advertising, let's say it's not growing at all. We've got a junior Facebook marketer that's now been doing Facebook marketing for a year and a half. We don't have any management positions for them. We're not going to move them into another channel. It's pretty reasonable to think that that person's probably going to want to move somewhere else because they've spent a year and a half doing the same thing, learning from us, and they can get paid a lot more somewhere else. Mm -hmm. We're not going to pay them more. So like part of it is coming to terms with the fact that some people are going to move on because there's no place to move them up. And it's also like after a year and a half, two years of, there, that person isn't good enough for us to want to promote into something else. Right. It's okay to let them move on. It's just crazy because their whole job at that point is based on one platform's success. Like yeah. if people start leaving Facebook it's, or Facebook gets hit with something and no one's you know yeah. on it anymore and your conversion rates just drop significantly, yeah. it's like what, what, what well, do I so, do? And that we have two things there for our, our own company. One is we oh, we have a policy. If you do your job really well, you can move into another position. Yeah. So if you're a really good Facebook marketer, we will allow you to move into. But they have to also want to do that yeah. position. Yeah. And then they also, and then we have a robust training program on all these things to train them up. So they we in part of our hiring philosophy, we have three very key criteria that are very subjective, but they're three criteria. It's uh, number one is uh, do you get shit done? Number two is learn quickly. Number three is be cool. So it's basically like people that know how to execute and actually complete things. It's rare, actually. It's weird. Mm. Um, number two, can you keep up and learn quickly? So can we take you from Facebook to influencer to search to email marketing? And you're going to jump in and figure it out really quickly because you just get it. And then number three, are you cool? Do we actually want to hang out with you right. around you? So And that's how I would say a lot of companies are starting to hire now. And yeah. it, a lot of it is based on culture. I, I yep. feel like the companies that succeed are the companies that actually have a culture. Yeah, because if they don't, then there's reason to leave. There's reason to not perform. There's reason to say, you know, fuck it. Like, why am I even here? Yep. You know, but but if you actually give a shit about the people that you're working with, yeah, I think you are more inclined to get work done and get shit done and succeed and excel and learn. Because if you're in an environment, and this isn't even outside of work, if you're in a relationship that's a, you know a bad relationship, just bad environment, no, like not good vibes, like not cool, not getting shit yep. done, you know, all that stuff. You're not learning. You're not growing. You right. know, what's, what's the point? Yep. You know, what's the point of that? Yeah. And like there's people what, – what's rewarding to see is a few things. One is the boss. I'm used to not being included in this. But all our people are at each other's birthdays going out on the weekends. Like they all are friends. Like right. there's a study about if you're the uh, employee productivity, if they feel their best friend works with them. So like knowing that a lot of people here do feel that way, it's just awesome. Like we, t- my partner and I talk about it all the time. We're maybe fourth or fifth on the list in terms of loyalty. Like they're loyal to each other first. They're loyal to the brand, maybe. They're loyal to, like, working in Santa Monica. But, you know, to me and my partner, like, we're very far. Like, they probably, I don't Which think. Which is they, a good thing. No, it's fine. It's, yeah. it's to be expected. It's, again, it's to be pragmatic. I'd love if everybody was here because they, like, are, you know, devoted followers of me and be helpful in some ways. <laughs> but it's just not realistic. Yes and no, be. because then this company is based off of you. And, that's fair you know, too. if you want to yeah, build yeah. a legacy and you want to build an actual, and I say this to And step out of certain roles. Yeah. yeah. You want yeah. you don't want a company that's based on one person because that's oh. not a company. Yeah, that's just a solopreneurship that yep. can like die instantly as yep. soon as the founders. Oh yeah, no, like both like actually dead and just like doesn't want to do it anymore. I work very hard to make it so that I am not required to be right. here. And these days, I feel like a lot of people want to become the face of the company, which yep. is which is great. But if the company is you, that's not a company. No, totally. Yeah, if I and yeah, there's 
it goes both ways with like I I think a lot of B2B companies you need to have a face now mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things an individual can do that a company can't. Right. A company can't really write a book. A company right. can't go speak at events. A company right. can't, you know, be on a podcast. Of course. It's it is about for the like these athletes and like people that are in the media, um, sure. do you think that it hurts them? Like for example, like take Kanye West right now, like yeah. all the all the stuff he's talking about, like and hit, you know, do you think in certain in for certain companies um it, it hurts them? No, I forgot who said it, but it's like just make sure they spell my name right. Like all press is good press. Sorry yeah. to say it. Yeah. Um, you know, Donald Trump's been a great example not to get too political with it, yeah. but like yeah. the more they talked about him, he spent way less money on his campaign. But who do you remember more than anyone mm-hmm. in that campaign? It's because mm-hmm. the media paid attention. And he knew that. Bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, it was brilliance in that sense. Like from a marketing perspective, yeah. he did a great Well, the job. guy is a marketer. Yeah. He's 100%. not like he's nothing else. Would, would yeah. be, say, Elon Musk, I think, has taken that exact same model as well. So there's something interesting. I heard a kind of uh, – what do you call it? Kind of opinion on both yeah. Elon Musk and Donald Trump, which is if you say ridiculous shit all the time, it stop people stop noticing, yeah. and then you can say whatever you want. Yep. And so, you know, Elon Musk has kind of taken the same approach. Now, I don't know how much he thought it was going to backfire like it did. Yeah. But there are a few people that have taken that approach of just saying ridiculous shit publicly right. to a point, like Kanye West, mm-hmm. that right, yeah. get to a point where you're like. Whatever. Oh, Kanye West is saying something crazy again. Whatever, yeah, and you exactly. stop caring, and then, but all you're hearing now is Kanye West. Right. Your opinion doesn't change, so it's not going to hurt him anymore. On the flip side, though, I think that you know, again, like people like the Trumps, the Musks, yeah. and Kanye West, they've normalized, you know, that crazy shit that they yep. say. Which and and the problem is with that is that they those guys have impact. Like they actually impact people that are you know in society, oh, yeah. And so it's a negative impact. Like yeah, sure, we're numb to it now. Yeah. But it's not a good numb. Like I'm, it's not like you know like oh yeah, yeah, perfect. Trump's right. Yeah, politically, totally agree. You know what I mean? For their own sake, yeah. I don't think they're hurting themselves. Oh, absolutely not. But for, they're hurting other things. But for sure, I, I totally agree. I'm not yeah. happy where things. No. Are yeah, I like but. turned on the news and they were talking about Kanye West the other day, like yeah. about I mean it was like a, it was like I think yeah. Fox News or something. Like right. Yeah. It's just I mean he met with Trump. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know it might be a good lesson for marketing about you know how come might position themselves not to say crazy fucking well, shit but do and say things that stick well no stand for something right and, and i know. think nike did that with the Kaepernick Correct. thing yeah i think you need to stand for something i think people you know and i do believe like one thing i do agree with it's gotten too pc i think it's like let's stop being ridiculous here um what was it uh steve carell went on saying like the office would have been canceled a long time ago oh, if yeah. it was in this today's climate yeah, um right and that so makes sense. yeah it does and it's just that's sad like what's not some of the stuff that gets talked about it's like this is ridiculous this is not a problem like oh god someone cracked a joke like that it's it's gotten too pc but but also the laws have kind of followed like a lot of advertising i mean like i'm sure you know like you know i recently found out that you know when you're doing a facebook ad you can't write things like family or target families yeah because you're like because people don't some people don't have families yeah so you can't or you can't say like view this because blind people can't view yeah you know which is which again it makes sense but then there's so many limitations now that are also affecting business, affecting the way we market advertising. No, I know. Right? And it's like at some point, like people are understand where they stand versus it'd be like if I saw an ad that said, if you're a woman, click here. Am I supposed to be offended? No. Like, it's, you know, it's like no. and, and that's not to compare to blind right. people. But, of it, course. you know, uh, you know, whatever. If it was a disability of mine, it's like, yeah, I get that. Like I yeah. tore something in my ankle. And if it's someone's trying to sell me running shoes, I'm not going to be like this asshole. <laughs> you know, like it's like. <laughs> Um, it's, I, I think, yeah, again, it, it goes too far that there's a victim complex now right. where it's like, right. everything's happening to me and it's like, let's get over it in some senses. Right. But yeah, back to the point on what you were saying with, uh, the being loud, there was 
like the crazy shit. Well, and what the sad thing, the sad truth is part of this is it's also created an environment where we've realized from crisis management perspective, don't ever admit to it. Don't ever apologize. That is the way to handle crisis these way days. Yeah. That's how Donald Trump did it. it That's go. how, you know, I won't pass judgment. Who knows which way it went with Kavanaugh. But if he did do it, he definitely didn't admit to it. Mm-hmm. Like, don't admit and you are going to be on this. You know, like that's that's the message we're starting to send, which is scary because you can take as a marketer, you can jump on it and be yep. like, screw morals. I'm just going to go take advantage of the fact yep. that or you can still be a good person. Yep. And in the long run, I don't know which one wins, to be honest. I, we haven't seen the outcome. I think I think the good will always win at the end. Really you hope do. I hope so. But I, I think it will, because I think inherently people um, you know, we had an episode, Pat and I, episode 40, I think we did the after hours, and we were talking about how, you know, our politicians really are not representative of yeah. the actual people of our country. Yeah. And I think that people, especially now, just see the bullshit, they see through the noise, and just, it, it's honestly, it's almost disgusting to watch, you know, these people that are in D.C. representing us. I think at the end of the day, true democracy will win. I really, I really believe, I'm hopeful, I believe it. It might not be tomorrow, but I think that sooner rather than later, it will prevail. Well, it generally swings. And so it yeah. goes good for a while, it goes bad yeah. for a while, because yeah. that's just yeah. the nature of the beast. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm really curious to see what happens next month <laughs> and yeah. what happens, you know. And the the sad truth is he's done, at this point, I think he does deserve a little of credit for the economy. Like, we're... he's now two years in like when he started claiming you know in february doing good things for the economy after yeah Yeah. it's like unemployment a month into work like come on (laughs) yeah that was obama let's be real right but two years in he's kept it afloat you know the so when i was in college the best thing that so george w bush came to speak and um i was luckily one of the students that was invited to hear him speak and I wasn't expecting much from him in terms of like eloquency yeah. uh, because of just how we've seen him as president. Yeah. But the moderator then asked him, you know, how do you view your legacy? You know, now you've been, you know, not the president for six, seven, eight years. It was at the time. And he said, look, he's like, they're still writing books about George Washington. And, you know, they're still writing books about how his legacy impacted this country. Yep. You know, you can't judge my work five years ago right now. Yep. And, you know, the, I think I think that's what people forget and i think it applies to marketing as well is that it's not just this short-term thing like as a company as a brand you have to build a relationship with your customers that's not going to happen overnight you're not going to bake a cake you know in one like just one day you know it's gonna you got to bring the ingredients together you got to get the recipe down you got to practice and make it perfect it takes time and so you know whether it's politics whether it's business you know whether it's in real estate whatever the industry is it's gonna take time to like succeed and I think marketing and advertising works when you give it time, when you're patient. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. We It takes three to four months to really see through the beginning of an advertised mm-hmm. campaign, especially mm-hmm. even DR. Like you yeah. want to give it time because there's a purchase cycle. People take time to think about what they're buying. It takes time to build that relationship. Mm-hmm. And people love to go, well, how do we speed that up? It's like, well, it doesn't you take don't. nine women a month to have a baby. Right. Like it just takes that time. You exactly. have to do it. And we can exactly. we explain the details about it. But you, yeah. it's, yeah, same thing. It, it takes time to see the results of what the changes you made, especially when you're talking about a the, sure. you know, largest economy in the world. I see you have a Rubik's Cube on your table and you have a little painting here. Uh, yeah. Is there like something significant about yeah, that? Total what's, what's your, what's your record, this, record this, time? This was a gift. I don't know how to solve this Rubik's Cube. <laughs> my <laughs> assistant does and loves to solve it in different ways and leave it on my desk. And that we do uh, 
websites for artists in exchange for art, hence the art oh, everywhere. Sweet. So that's a great deal. Con- yeah, when we do one at a time, but are constantly looking for new <laughs> artists to work with. So nice. we got some really cool art. The new office we're building has like it's set up to be a gallery too. Oh, sweet. Cool. That's yeah. very cool. Well, Eric, this has been awesome, man. I feel like we yeah. could sit here and talk all day, but yeah. you know, we know we have work to do and want to, you know, let you go enjoy your weekend. So appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for coming, thanks, guys. Eric.